in some group. <laughs> I, um, today we're celebrating the advent of peace. The first reading is from Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. The second passage reading is from Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and 9 through 11. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the time of King Herod, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. After listening to the king, they left, and once again the star they saw when it rose led them until it stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they shouted joyfully. As they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, they bowed to and worshipped him. They opened their treasure boxes and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The third reading is from Isaiah 41 through 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The fourth reading is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, in saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way, make straight paths for him. Could you all please pray with me? Almighty God, help us understand this message of peace. Help us to understand the kingdom of heaven. Um, it's here, it's in us, it's with us, because you are with us. Be with our preaching today. Let the words that uh, Kyle shares be your words. Let them penetrate our hearts and grow us into the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name. And the children can now be dismissed to Sunday school. That should give us a little more room. <laughs> God bless everyone. It's so great to be with you all this Advent season, um, to be with the people of God and to be with friends and guests um, and to just worship God and his word, um, to remember who we are, how he's created us, um, and what he's done for us. Amen? If you could just uh, pray with me one more time. God, we just love you. We thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you that it's powerful. We thank you that your word is alive. We thank you, Lord, that has something to say to us this morning. 
God, you are so good to us, and we trust you in all the circumstances of our lives. And we know, Lord, that you have peace, that we have peace because of the birth of Christ. Amen. <clears throat> there was an occasion in Scripture when uh, Jesus comforted his, comforted his disciples with these well-known words. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. You guys remember these words from Christ? I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. What great comforting words for us, especially we're in great times of fear. <clears throat> Anyone who has ever become a Christian for any, any amount of time might, might be troubled by these words, though. If you've been a Christian for, for a, a long time or period of time, you might be kind of disturbed by the fact that Jesus said, peace I, I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And why is that? Because so often we have no peace at all. Our hearts don't have peace. Everything around us is in, in seeming decay and disorder. Can, can, I, can you testify with me? Right? Um, so Jesus, what are you talking about? Really? You leave us your peace? We see fighting. We see anger. We see gossip. We see an inability to repent, a hard resistance for, to forgive, all of this mess. Not, not just only in the church, the, our families, uh, the world, the workplace. My peace I give to you. So, so often in, the, in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, and even in our churches, the, we just live at war sometimes, don't we? We see this. Offending and defending. Peace I leave with you? Really, Jesus? I don't get it. I'm not seeing it. Where is it? Am I missing something? Are you with me? I'm confused by this sometimes, but I hope by the end of this message you won't be. The advent of Jesus, in spite of these things, friends, listen, everyone look at me. The advent of Jesus is the advent of peace. Whether we see it or not, whether we understand it or not, the advent of Jesus is the advent of peace. And I hope that by the end of the sermon you can see why. All the world can be crumbling around us, under our feet. Friend or foe can hurl against us immense injury. Yet because Christ has come, we can stand and have peace. Without need to defend ourselves or others, without need to retaliate, we can have peace. To posture our hearts as our king. You recall his words. Who, forgave, who said, forgive them because they know not what they do. And he also said, I don't delight in the death of the wicked. So when sinners bear the awful consequences of their sin, he's not in heaven laughing at them. But rather, would, he says in Ezekiel, would I not rather they repent so that they might turn and have life? So peace is hard to possess in our hearts, isn't it? Even for Christians. Because the times, they can be troubling, can't they? But it is your birthright as a Christian, as an adopted member of the family of God. Peace is your birthright. And we need to claim hold of it. Claim hold of it. It is his peace that he offers, and it is his peace that you and I can know this very moment. You know that the antithesis of peace is fear. Did you know this? The, in, the heart peace, that is. When you don't have a heart peace, you're struck with fear and anxiety and anger, all these different things. The antithesis of peace is fear. And fear is a matter of the heart, not circumstances. 
Did you hear this? Fear is a matter of the heart, not what's going on around you. Note that Jesus said, My peace I leave with you. Do not be afraid. So when we don't have peace, we're afraid. It's just the simple fact. So when we have chronic internal anxiety or anger or fear, we lack a heart's peace. And you know, this always begins with a false narrative. The reason our hearts can be crippled with fear and anxiety and not have peace in our heart, it's not the circumstances around us that are happening. It's because we have believed a story that is false. We have forgotten the divine story. We have forgotten the gospel story, and we have let the circumstances around us change the story, and it brings us to crippled fear. You see? Faith is believing the true narrative, the gospel narrative, the real story, the divine promise, in spite of how life might be unfolding for you. The divine promise. We could just kind of say those words and meditate on them all day. There is a promise from God to you. This sermon's purpose is to plug us back in to having a heart's peace by, by correcting that narrative, that story that sometimes we start believing because of the circumstances of life, to bring you back to a p- place of heart peace in spite of what might be going on around you. The expulsion of chronic anxiety or fear or pain or bitterness or these things. Our text in Isaiah shows us the foundation for our peace, for our heart's peace, our inner liberation. It's peace in word, peace with God, peace in creation. Those are our three observations. I'm using Isaiah chapter 40 in particular from the Advent readings to examine um, for us this morning. Peace in word, peace with God, peace in and creation. That's, those are the things that I think that we can notice that serve as the foundation for our own equilibrium inside of us when times get tough. The advent of Christ is the advent of peace in word, peace with God, and peace with creation. Let's unpack this a little bit. Let's look at first peace in word. This is in verses 1 through 2 in Isaiah chapter 40. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her. Now those of us during times of great emotional turmoil that that are maybe suffering with chronic anxiety or pain over a matter know the healing power of tender words, don't you? Words that are gentle. Words that comfort. Of being pursued with a message of comfort in times of calamity. And should you think that these words in scripture kind of fall on the ears of a people that aren't really going through some tough stuff, let me, con- let, let me offer to you for your consideration Isaiah chapter 39. This is the context of the nation of Israel at the time. Verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left. This is an individual, national, and spiritual crisis that Israel is about to go on. Political upheaval, national ruin, the destruction of Jerusalem, the decimation of the temple, carried off, cattle herded, 
as slaves to Babylon. This is a very bad day. And in Isaiah chapter 40, he approaches them with these words, Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to them. Let's explore that a bit more. For, more. for much of Old Testament history, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you'll know that Israel very often decided to worship other gods instead of Yahweh, instead of the God. And oftentimes that created all of this upheaval in their, in their personal lives and as a nation. Despite God's long-suffering, he was patient with them. As a matter of fact, he was slow to anger. Oftentimes in the Old Testament you see this, and I've said this before, but we've got a lot of new people here, so for those of you who have, haven't heard me say this, you'll appreciate it. The Bible says in the Old Testament that God is slow to anger. Right? You, you've heard that before if you've ever read the Bible, right? In the Old Testament, he's slow to anger. Well, if you examine the actual Hebrew words, it actually means that God has a long nose. I, I think that's very funny. <laughs> Right? He's got a long nose, not because he was a liar like Pinocchio. Okay? He's got a long nose because in the, the, the idiom, what it basically meant was when you get angry, your face gets red. Right? So in other words, if you've got a very long nose, it takes a while for that thing to get red. Get it? That's, <laughs> I'm not making this up. That's true. This is, what the, this is what that meant. God is slow to anger, but in spite of that long suffering... It, it, what happened for Israel, because they persisted to reject God as their God and worshipped other gods, the northern kingdom, the first of all, they split into two separate kingdoms. The northern kingdom went into captivity or slavery to the Assyrians. And then later on, um, the, the southern kingdom, Judah, was enslaved to the Babylonians. And that's what we have right here in this context. The southern kingdom, Judah, is about to be overrun by the Babylonian forces. The, re- the remaining peoples of Israel are about to be conquered and enslaved. And Isaiah is told, after he de- delivers this message of doom, this message of ruin, almost in the same breath he says, I want you to deliver another message, a message of comfort. Comfort my people with these tender words. There's power in words, friends. There's power in the story that you believe in your mind the things that you rehearse over and over again, the things that you say out loud. See, there's power in those words. When we speak out loud, what we think, whether it be anger or vengeance, it's just a story. It's a story that we're telling ourselves. And sometimes we have to stop and we have to ask, is this God's story? Is this the end? Is my experience, what's happening now, really the big picture? Because oftentimes it's the story, the moment, that isn't including the big picture of the gospel and redemption that we have in Christ, that turns us into a tizzy, isn't it? We forget the story, the grand story, that the Prince of Peace has come. You know, know that we, we should note that Isaiah wasn't told, hey, go to Israel and tell them, you got what you deserved, kids. Right? God was mad, you deserve it, own it. He wasn't told to gloat over their destruction. As a matter of fact, oftentimes we see the Lord and his prophets weeping over Jerusalem. Weeping over their plight. The plight of Israel. Do it, remember that verse? I mentioned it already in Ezekiel. Do I delight in the death of the wicked? Would I not them repent so that they might have life? Paul says, let your conversation be filled with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how to answer everyone. Your talk, your words, your narrative, 
Does it season you? Does it teach you? Does it give you perspective, a context into what might be happening in your lives right now? Your talk, your words, your narrative. Is it the divine narrative? I like the old English word charity. If you look at like the King James Version of when Paul said this, let your conversation be filled with charity. And you know, I think a lot of times when we think of conversation, and rightly so, it's interacting with each other, conversation. But you know you have a conversation with your, yourself that often happens. Can you, you guys with me on this, right? You talk to yourself. I am a classic talk to myself kind of person in my car. You might think I'm crazy, right? I, I do this all the time. And I think I, one of you caught me once doing it. I forgot who it was. Now it's easier to, you know, get people to think you're not crazy because of phones. But, um, oh, I was talking to my phone. I'm not crazy. But the words we speak, the words we think, the words we listen to tell us a narrative, tell us a story. That, and this story is either going to bring us heart's peace or it's going to rob it from us. See? What do you believe? Do you really believe that God works all things together for your sanctification and your growth and glory in Christ? That's got to mean that the greatest tra- tragedy is leading me to greater Christ-likeness. And that should give my heart comfort. That's a, you see, that's a story. What he has promised in spite of the circumstances, we must believe. The words we find Isaiah speaking, by the way, aren't simply seeing like the glass, you know, half full kind of personality. You know, kind of making something good out of every tragedy. Tragedy is tragic. We should grieve it. Bad things shouldn't happen. We shouldn't sin against each other and likewise. We shouldn't be bitter and unforgiving and slander, right? All this stuff. So we're not forcing ourselves to see something positive and something negative. We're not delusional. We don't have a delusional outlook to pain and death. You guys remember the Lego movie? Everything is awesome. Everything is not awesome, right? I'm sorry, Mr. Lego man. Everything is not awesome. Blue skies, bouncy springs, we just named a few awesome things. A Nobel Prize, a piece of string. You know what's awesome, everything. Dogs with fleas, allergies, a book of Greek antiquities, brand new pants, a very old vest. Awesome items are the best. Everything is not awesome, is it? Rocks, clocks, socks, figs, jigs, twigs. Everything you see or think is awesome. It's not, it's not true. Not everything is awesome. Sin corrodes, it destroys, it should grieve us. We should run from it. But here's, here's the point, though. There is a story that makes sense of it. And if we just kind of live in the cycle of the calamity of our own problems and the, way, the offenses of others and even ourselves, we're not going to see the big picture. We're not going to see the hope that we have in Christ. Many things ought not to be and ought to sink us and grieve us. And we know this as Christians. Many things brought Christ himself to a cross. It's not funny. The pain, the suffering, the grief, the sinful, it's not funny. Because it cost Jesus Christ his very life. So Christians know this all too well. We don't see positive and evil things. There's no positive in anything evil. The only positive that comes out of it is what Jesus has done because of it. See? We don't receive peace by pretending nothing is wrong. That's my point. We receive peace by trusting in the one who has power over the wrong. 
See? The words that are sweet, the words that bring comfort, level us and lift us at the same time. They sink us to the grave, but give us new life and resurrection power at the same time. And let's look at this a little bit more. There is peace in word. There is peace in the story that we tell to ourselves and others. What's that story? What's the divine narrative? What's what we rehearse in our own mind? The gospel narrative, the true story begins with, and this is our second point, the application of heart's peace in that we have peace with God through Christ. The whole world can be tumbling around you, and you need to remind yourself of the story that you, if you have trusted in faith, by faith in Jesus Christ, have peace with God. I don't care how many people make fun of you behind your back. I don't care what's going on. I don't care how many times a, a, a man or a woman has left you and hurt you. Because of Christ, you have peace with God. The only one that matters, you have peace with. Speak tenderly. This is our second point. We have peace with God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. In spite of what's happening in Babylon, in spite of what's going on, there is a Messiah that's coming that's going to pay for her sin. That's going to pay for it. All of it. Amen? The peace word to God's people are made plain in this passage of Scripture that despite individual circumstances, the problems of your life, the calamities and traumas, despite disunity, despite divisions and war and corporate sin, even the and even the persecution of the prophets, God had not forgotten or rejected his people. They were guilty of so much, and God says to them, I have not forgotten you. You see that comfort? When we've, when we've been caught in our own sin, God speaks to us and says, I'm going to comfort you because remember that even in spite of the ways that you have fallen and that I have fallen, that there is a Christ who has forgiven it all. Amen? You have peace with God in Christ. The, these are incredible words that God has not forgotten or rejected his people. And as, and as disrupted as our lives can become, as dysfunctional and unhealthy as our families can be and workplaces can be, as the world can be around us, as the church can be at times, God in Christ has made peace between us and him. Do you see that this morning? That he has made, made peace with the church in Christ. The challenge now is to live it out to tell the story, to live that peace. We're going to get to that. That's our third point. So I'm not, going to get ahead. I'm not going to get ahead here. We need to ask, what narrative do I believe? That's going to help you turn the other cheek when you want to smack the other cheek. That's going to help you say, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. When you want to say, destroy them, Father. They know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> right? The divine promise of God I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. In you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in Christ a blessing has come and is coming? Or do you allow the circumstances and trials and disruptions of life to, to, to disrupt you to remembering that great promise, that narrative, that gospel story? Will you question like Adam or Satan, hath God said his promises are failing. 
things are falling apart. But the prophet here reminds the people of Israel who who lived in a dysfunctional time, a dysfunctional nation, who carried the burden of their own sin, who came under the just punishment of a holy God, that they were not forgotten, that they were loved. Peace in our hearts first begins by recognizing that it will only elude us unless we are properly identified with and reconciled to God through Christ. I'm going to unpack that a little more because that's important. Peace begins, peace in our heart, begins first by recognizing that we'll never have it unless we are properly identified with God through Christ. In other words, that relationship has to be healed with God. You think your problem is with other people, it's not. It's with God. There's something going on with your identity with God that you have forgotten if you're a Christian or if you've never known if you're not a Christian. Her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. That's the promise. It's here interesting that the tender words spoken to Israel were that her sins were forgiven. I I just sort of think that I would have liked to hear that, hey, Israel, I changed my mind. I'm not sending you into Babylonian captivity. Those were, I think those would be more comforting to me, right? Because they were just shown that they're in big trouble. They're going to go off into slavery. But, But how does God comfort them? He doesn't say, don't worry, it won't be that bad. I'll give you manna from heaven. He doesn't say that. He says, let me comfort you by this thought. Your sins are forgiven. How does that comfort us, friends, in times of great trial and trouble? Because it reminds us that our greatest trial, our greatest trouble has been solved. You see? And that gives us equilibrium. That helps us to know that all of this any trouble is really simply a matter of learning a greater, getting a greater glimpse of who God is in my life. As God's creation, we should know that all fear, all anxiety, all anger, all bitterness is related first to our insecure relationship with God, not the dysfunction around us. Now that's important. You either believe that or you don't. But I'm going to say that again. As God's creation, we should know that all fear, all anxiety, all anger, all bitterness is first related to our own insecure relationship with God, not the dysfunction around us. So let me explain. If you're afraid of being insignificant, afraid of never finding affection, afraid of losing affection, afraid of not gaining someone's approval of a person or a group of people, if it crushes you to fail, to be rejected by a person, all of this stems from and is remedied by your peace with God in Christ. And why is that? Your once estranged relationship with God is made whole. Now think about this. Don't think about your calamity with people. Think about your calamity with God, your, inter, your, your, en, your enmity with God and sin. Because in Romans 5, 9, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Not because of what you've done, but because we, what Christ has done for us. We have peace with God through Christ, Romans 5, 1. In Romans 5, 10, you know what it says? While we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? 
And to be reconciled with God is that we have a relationship of peace with God. That's what that means. We're not enemies. We're friends. We have peace in our relationship again. So in Christ, with God, you are affirmed. In Christ, with God, you are applauded. In Christ, with God, you are loved. You are safe. You are adopted into his family, into the creator king's family. In Christ, you are home. So that means if I lose my earthly home, I never lose my heavenly one. If I lose earthly favor, I never lose my heavenly favor. If I lose earthly affection, I never lose my heavenly affection. The question is, which do you want more? See? You see, friends, that frees us. That liberates us. You know what that does? When we live and walk in that promise, it helps us. It helps things just bounce off us. We care more. That's how you say, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. Because when you can't do that, you're dependent on people for your own wholeness and happiness. That's just the bottom line. And they're always going to fail you. They're always going to crush you. Your hard service has been completed. Your sin has been paid for. You have peace with God. If you have this in Christ, you won't be dependent on others for it. And therefore, you're going to be free to repent eagerly, to forgive desperately. It's going to free you up. Left on our own, we're enemies of God because of sin. We are alone. We are estranged. We are in trouble. We are condemned. All those things that we fear. But because of God's great love for us, he took that God-forsaken darkness Jesus Christ took the darkness you deserved. He took the loneliness, the condemnation, the rejection. He took it all. All the trouble, our sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Wow. All your sins. Did you notice that in Isaiah 40? That, that the comforting words is that all of them have been paid for. In Christ, not a single stain remains on you. Not one stain. If you have repented of your sin and put trust in Jesus Christ, that he is the satisfaction of all of God's anger for your sin, not one stain remains on you. It's gone. When Christ died for those who believe on him, there's nothing left to pay for. Even the sin that you'll commit two weeks from now when you cut me off. (laughs) It is complete. It is a full payment of all your sins, past, present, and future. And you have peace with God. You have peace with God. When you have peace with God, it empowers us to seek out peace with each other, doesn't it? It just does. For any repentant sinner that puts faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, their sins are forgiven. They have a guaranteed and everlasting companion. You have a bridegroom. Are you single tonight? Are you discouraged and lonely because of your singleness? Let me remind you that you are wed to another, that there is a bridegroom waiting for you, preparing a home for you and me. And if you don't know that, by the way, even in marriage you'll be lonely. Because your wife is not your God, your husband is not your God. They cannot fulfill the, the, the companionship, the need for companionship and intimacy and affection that you have in your heart. And your marriage is falling apart because you don't know that. You don't know that you should be seeking that from God. And then it frees you to just love your wife and not expect them to be God. Right? 
Do you know that you have a guaranteed everlasting companion? Do you know that you have a bridegroom? That he loves you? That he's preparing a home for you? That he has reserved his affection for you? That he has adopted you into his family? Have you had a bad dad, a bad mom, abusive parents? Well, I have good news for you this morning because the creator king, the one that made all of the hairs on your head, that placed all of the mountains in their place, all of the stars in the sky, has adopted you and promised you an inheritance that comes from him. You are heirs and you are sons of God. Trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in him. The advent of Christ is the advent of peace because in Christ all our threats are defeated, all of them. In Christ, the threat of sin and death is defeated. The threat of rejection and abandonment is gone. The threat of insignificance, of not mattering, right? The threat of not being great. You say, I want to be great. Well, in Christ you are. You know the Bible says that? Many times it talks about your glory in Christ. There's nothing to fear. In Christ, you have nothing to be afraid of. So what story are you telling yourself? What narrative? Is it the gospel one? Or is it your own? I invite you to remind yourself of the gospel. We are so good, even as Christians, forgetting it, entrenching our brains with a different story and living out that story every day. He conquers our threats and our fear retreats. Amen? Amen. And we, li- we live in peace. The advent of Christ is the advent of not only peace with God, but listen to this, peace, thirdly, in creation. Peace in creation, verses 3 through 5 in Isaiah 40. Let me remind you, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway of our God. Every valley raised up. Every mountain will be made low. The, the rough ground shall become level. See the kind of imagery, the metaphors in this. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places, a plain, when the glory of the Lord is revealed. And all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know that Jesus is coming back. And your rough places will be made level. What you think is unconquerable will be conquered. It has been. Paul in Romans 8 talks about it as conquered already. You have been justified. You have been glorified. You know that verse in Romans 8? Past tense, because of the advent of Christ. Because he has come, it is assured to us that peace is coming. That the mountains will be made low. That the rugged places will be made smooth. Do you trust in that? There is a great and royal procession coming. Jesus is coming back. Do you believe that? He said, I am coming back quickly. He is coming back. There is a, you see in this passage this processional type of language? Make straight the desert. You can kind of almost picture like everyone get out of the way because Jesus is returning. Do you kind of see that image? The royal king of heaven who won salvation for all of his people, who promises that he will restore the created earth to peace is coming back. And it's almost like the, the prophet is saying, everything in creation, step aside. I remember, I went to the, the this is a bad illustration, but um, I shouldn't say that before I tell it. Um, I was at um, the, the Warren... Rhode Island's 
uh, parade, Christmas parade. Any of you guys there? I was there. Okay, three people. We loved it. But, um, but there was a lot of people there, and Santa was on the, on the fire truck, and he had to make his way from the fire truck to the, to the, to the town hall. And there's this mob of people. And then all of a sudden, he steps down, this fictional character that's dressed up in red, right? And everyone, it parts like the Red Sea, <laughs> right? Because everyone just kind of respected the fact that they were trying to accomplish it. All the people just go, zoop, because he needed to walk through this big crowd. Now, isn't it incredible that the king, when he returns, that mountains are laid low. They're getting out of the way because Jesus is coming. And friends, your problem will crumble to the ground. It will get out of the way when Jesus returns. It will. Your problem, by the way, isn't the problem. It's not. Jesus is coming. The procession is coming. The royal great king is coming back. A procession made possible because he came to begin with, to die for us. When Christ first came, it was to die. It was to pay for, to redeem us, to win back the creation that had fallen and turned from him. But when he comes again, there is a processional that Jesus Christ is coming back and all of the mountains will be made low. Make straight a highway. Raise up the valleys. Make low the mountains. Be ready for he's coming. And that's the call to the church. Be ready. Make yourself ready. Lower those mountains Right now, what are the rugged places right now in your life? Make them plain. Don't let anything get in the way of you and the coming of Jesus Christ. See? The procession of the king, he is coming quickly. Make the rough crowns level, the rugged places plain. He will will take back this broken world and your brokenness. He will mend what's broken, raise it to life, and give dead things life again. The Lord is coming, make straight a highway. Is that your narrative? Is that your story? The Lord is coming, remove the mountains and the barriers, the rough things. Do you remember in the book of Romans, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Is that your story? Is that your narrative? Is that what you repeat in your mind and to others? The present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. Did you hear that? All of the decay, all of the suffering, all of the the dysfunction will be brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Oh, praise God. Peace on earth. We know, he continues, that the whole creation groans as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait for the adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we're saved. We groan too. But the present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory to come. 
That's the in spite of the physical groanings of our lives because of the disruptions and the conflicts and the, and, and the things that we experience. We can have peace in our heart because our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What a story. Peace fully realized. It comes when Christ appears. The bickering, the divisions, the groaning, the sinful injustices, all of it. Hard, unforgiving hearts, bent on vengeance, unrepenting spirits shall cease when he is come. Amen? Oh, amen. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. I want to say a few more things and then we'll be done. It seems to me that this passage of Scripture, specifically the mountains being made low and all this, speaks into our present work and duty. Now please hear this. To make straight a way for His coming. We do this this moment. In our lives with the choices that we make, with the stories that we tell ourselves, whether they're gospel or not, that we can either make straight or make crooked a way for his coming. He will take back this broken world. He will mend what is broken and raise to life what is dead. We make a way for this royal procession right now. We do this when we speak this comfort. The story that we tell ourselves, the gospel story or, or the satanic lie, will either make that way for us or it will not make it. We prepare the way for Christ when we don't see the need to control every circumstance, to retaliate, to be angry, to hate. We prepare the way when we speak words seasoned with charity, when we, when we forgive, when we confess. You see, this is how we prepare the way for the Lord. When we trust the gospel of peace, to live the peace, to come in our lives this moment, one writer says this, and I quote, When valleys are exalted and mountains made low, those who are cast down are encouraged, brought high. Those who are self-righteous, exalted, will be made low. We prepare the way for the Lord now when dishonesty is transformed into simplicity and honesty and truth. When, when the unapproachably proud become humble, you see, when those who have been humiliated are brought up with the gospel. That's how we prepare the way for the Lord now. We prepare the way for the Lord now when we take care, quote, again, this is that same gentleman, when we take care that God who is coming to deliver us shall find us in such an inward and outward state as befits his exaltation and his purpose. You see? That's how we prepare the way for the Lord now. And I can't help but end now with how I began. Peace in our hearts begins with words. What words do you believe? What words do you speak to yourself? He's risen, friends. The Prince of Peace has brought peace to you with his word, has brought peace to your relationship with God, and he is bringing peace to all of creation. Count on it. Remember it. Be the peace. The advent of Christ is the advent of peace. It's yours, friends. Lay hold of it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for the promise 
given to us in Christ that all of our sins have been forgiven in Christ and that because of this, we have peace with God. God, we have peace with you. So I pray, Lord, that we would find our affection, we would find our accomplishments, our companionship, that we would find our full satisfaction in life and our identity with you. And God, help that to give us perspective in the rumblings around us. Help us to trust you, God, that the rugged places now when you come will be made low, will be made clear, made plain, that there's nothing to be afraid of. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your people, God. We ask if there's anyone that doesn't know Jesus Christ sitting in this in room this morning, that they would repent of their sin and trust in the Prince of Peace. If that's you, friend, turn from your sin. Trust that Christ died the death you deserved. That Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, God himself paid for your sin so that you wouldn't have to be separated from him. That your relationship in Christ, because of Christ, is restored And in Christ, your sins are forgiven. You are adopted into a new family and guaranteed an eternal home. If you're believing that this moment, I want to encourage you to come talk to me so that we can talk about baptism. Baptism in Scripture is the way in which a person proclaims their new faith. So if you're having new faith in Jesus Christ, come talk to me, and I'd love to talk to you more about that. God, we love you so much. We thank you for this group of people. We thank you that your word promises us great things. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.